Hi, Ross. Um, yeah, good, thank you. And thanks for inviting me here today. You're welcome. It's um, tidier than it usually is. I've made a bit of an effort to yeah. clear all the stuff that we need to get out. It's <laughs> not usually on decking on here. So. Tell me a little bit about where we are today. Uh, so we're just outside my office, I yeah. suppose. Yeah. Uh, it's the place that I work, and it's just tucked down right at the bottom of my garden. Um, and it's the kind of... I used to work in a house a lot, and now I've got down here and just having that separation between yeah. home life and work life, albeit being... 15, 20 metres yeah. apart is just that good kind of separation between yeah. the two. Nice to have that space to yourself. Oh yeah, it's really good. I know you're into sort of your music as well, Is that does that form part of sort of a... Yeah, so I've got a little kind of studio thing in there, I, don't, yeah. I wouldn't call it in any way kind of, it, it, it's slightly below amateur, I yeah. think, um, <laughs> but I record bits and pieces and I still play with the guys I used to play with in the band and yeah, yeah. started gigging again, so it's kind of still forms part of what I'm doing, but yeah. the, the design and the and the tech stuff is kind of my bigger area still. Yeah, perfect. So I want to have a conversation today about kind of like your experiences with conversations around mental health and, yep. and that's kind of like my kind of mission at the moment around what I'm doing. And I thought a good kind of a good place to start is to kind of go back to a little bit when we were younger and, you know, if I was to kind of meet James on the playground, circa sort of 12 years old, who would, yeah. who would I have met, do you think? Um, Probably so. I, I'm still exactly the same, to be fair. I've, I've not really, I've not really developed or evolved as a human being since 12 years old. I think my wife would perfectly uh, attest to the fact that I still have a very juvenile sense of humour. So fart jokes are, are yeah. my kind of reason for being. Um, so I think it would it'd be very similar to what you see now. Is that I'm I'm kind of fairly wary of new people. Okay. I tend to have my group, and then anything that's outside yeah. my group, I tend to be very aware of. Yeah. Um, I'll be quiet and on the edge of conversation most of the time yeah. as I was then yeah yeah um, and and not really kind of particularly socially, socially interactive so mm. I'd have my small group with yeah. people I trust and that, that would be it and that would be a kind of very small circle of people yeah yeah I think I'm quite similar in that way actually yeah I think um, if I remember back to when I was a kid at school kind of like fairly quiet and kind of like friends with most people most kind of different groups and stuff yeah. Um, but I can appreciate what you said, yeah, quite, quite, quite in that respect. And was there a time, do you think, when during that point you came kind of aware of your own mental health? Was there kind of a, a period that you thought that? No, I mean, I, I probably, um, I, I was only diagnosed autistic and ADHD four months ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, fairly late on mm. in life. And I think um, up until that point, I've always kind of wondered why I'm different and why I didn't mm. fit into certain situations mm. and, and never, but never really considered, I, I didn't think of myself to be abnormal in any way, Yeah. but I just thought I was kind of, I just kind of, why, why do I, can I drop into the center of these things? Why do I yeah, always yeah. not quite fit in? And I'd never really considered it being a kind of wider thing than me just being me. Yeah. And it still is to a certain extent. It's just got a label now. I'm still me. I'm not. Yeah. different it's just I have a clinical diagnosis to yeah. to, <laughs> to hold a certificate up and go yeah. this this yeah, thing yeah, here yeah yeah, yeah. so I, I think up until that point I'd probably from probably 15 until my late 30s um, uh, or kind of you know when I turned 40 I started mm. discover, exploring the idea of yeah. being neurodiverse mm. which wasn't really a thing at school it didn't you, no. were, you were either good at school or you weren't yeah that was it. End yeah, yeah, of. It was yeah. A, it was a you know ones and zeros. So um, I think for me it was it was a real turning point of starting to understand 
my mental health, yeah. what the actual trigger points were that mm. affected my mental health in mm. good ways or bad ways, yeah. and then getting to the age of 45 um, and discovering there's a kind of, you know, a clinical diagnosable yeah. reason for it and yeah. there's, there's coping mechanisms for it. So yeah. um, it, it's, you know, the last five years in particular have been a real journey to understand my mental health and, mm. and my well-being and, and what doesn't do me any good. Yeah. And I guess throughout that period of school, if you know, it may be if that was seen, as, you know, if you experienced things and that was seen as behaviour, was there any way that you kind of coped yourself during that time or was there any kind of things that kind of kicked in for you that, that, that helped? Um, I think getting into playing music really helped me because the of the it, it crosses a wide spectrum of kind of things that can tick boxes for someone that was you know undiagnosed neurodiverse at the time in that yeah. I could really enjoy playing live music but didn't enjoy talking to the audience. Okay, yeah, so yeah. I, I had this barrier of a large chunk of wood and yeah. metal in front between me and the crowd so I could kind of what hide, can I hide behind, behind Yeah, yeah, so it was kind of, you know, didn't like playing bass. I would have probably preferred bass because it was the bigger instrument. Yeah. Got into playing guitar. But there was also the kind of organisational analytical element of music and that sort of thing which okay. I really enjoyed as well. Still can't read music. Yeah. But I like the kind of process and the kind of sub mathematics behind it and that sort of thing so music yeah. really helped me because I think that was something that I could disappear into yeah and be my myself with and be on my own with but also be with other people and, and, and enjoy it through that way as well yeah so I think that was probably my first coping mechanism unfortunately my second coping mechanism was probably alcohol <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it was, I, I started really well and then kind of fell flat on my face it's like the music isn't doing it yeah so. yeah so yeah, yeah boo please <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's interesting isn't it? and, I th and I think for a lot of people, you know, whether they're neurodiverse or or not, things like music or film or anything kind of creative sometimes is, is a really good outlet for that yeah. because it it allows you kind of to be on your own and to kind of, um, I, I guess, kind of manage any thoughts or experiences that you have and by putting it into that thing. Yeah, yeah, completely. Yeah, and I remember back, you know, music was 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 big for me as well and and kind of um, film and, and and that kind of stuff. Um, as you kind of moved kind of a bit older and you kind of take 15 onwards and sort of into your, your teenage years, what, how were things then? I mean, did you have sort of people that you could have conversations around stuff or was there conversations at home or was there conversations at, you know, in your peer group? Not so much, I don't think. I think, you know, on reflection, I'd probably say over half of the peer group that I hung out with were neurodiverse without anyone knowing. Interesting. Sort of thing. But you yeah. go back and you kind of reanalyze. Yeah people's um demeanors and, yeah, yeah. and you know how they how how they were socially and how they were out of a, in a less social environment in a more kind of um subdued environment or a kind of more personal environment yeah you, you'd you'd see different characteristics of them and you look back at it and you go oh okay i grew up on the kind of alternative side of things when I was younger so I'd drink in the you know from like 15 16 onwards I'd go in the spread eagle and drink okay and it was that was the alternative pub in town and yeah. it was full of kind of all sorts of people from a you know huge inverted commas alternative background mm. but the fantastic thing about it and the still the fantastic thing that remains today in the alternative community 
the you know EDM and metal and mm. all those communities. Yeah, probably the most welcoming communities yeah. you can get. Yeah, you know yeah. everyone looks out for each other. Never let any, leave anyone down in the mosh pit. Yeah. All of those sorts of rules still yeah. apply today. Yeah, and still apply to even if you're down the pub, if your friend's in trouble, you step in and help them out. Okay, if even if a stranger's in trouble, mm. you step in and mm. try and help them out. Mm. So I think all of that kind of. There was no real conversations amongst the peer group about mental health. Yeah. But I think everyone was just kind of looking out for each other and, and, and making sure that people were okay. But there was no kind of clinical oversight or anything in no. that. It was all just friends looking after friends. Yeah. And I, and I think we're sort of a, of a similar generation. And I think sort of looking back to that time, I think, you know, any conversations between peer groups or, or friends were, were very minimal. Yep. Um, maybe they were sort of dealt with in sort of using humour or, oh, yeah, or, the, the, or that kind just of stuff. Riotous and, amounts of sarcasm and piss taking yeah, was kind of, yeah. you know, the, the, the default situation. And it, it was, you know, it was very hard. You look back at it and you try and work out how everyone actually got together because there was no contact. <laughs> yeah. Nobody phoned anyone or dropped anyone a message. It was no. just you'd turn up here at this time yeah, and there'd yeah. be slightly different arrangements of people every week. But I know. you always knew somebody. Yeah. Yeah, that dawned on me the other day. You know, like, if you're arranging to, to meet up with someone, you know, now we're sort of texting probably every hour to make sure they're still coming. Or yeah, something. yeah, yeah. Just turn up. Yeah, just, just rock up and knock on someone's door. Or, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like, the there you go. You're either, you're either you know, out they, or they're not around and you, you go and knock on someone else's door. If they door. were there, they were there. If not, you yeah, just yeah. carried yeah, on on your totally. own. Um, and I guess sort of moving then into, into adulthood, you know, the, the root of kind of work that you chose was, again, a creative one. Yeah, completely. I think, you know, I, I, from jumping back a little bit from my kind of later high school years into yeah. sixth form, yeah. I academically just shut down. I, I was kind of okay. pretty bored with I, uh, just learning through repetition. Yeah. And I, I think in every school report I had from year nine, um, it was, you know, could try harder. Okay. Um, or, you know, intelligent but could put a bit more mm. effort in and mm. it was just and I was like I'm, I'm fine I just you know I frustrate teachers because I'd look like I was completely unengaged in class yeah and more than not I was completely unengaged because yeah. it was it was boring it's not but it's because I'd already kind of covered it and mm. I didn't need it saying again mm. so mm. I'd come to do a test and they'd be really annoyed because I'd be getting kind of high 80s early 90 percent and they'd be like but but you, you're not yeah here and I was yeah like, fine <laughs> that's yeah. fine but then it got to sixth form and it's like well you can either kind of tumble to the lesson that's your responsibility or you can go down the pub and I was like I'm going to the pub oh, no, so yeah. <laughs> I, I think you know I, I went to Westbourne which was a fairly hard school to yep. get moved away from and I, I managed it um, and then went to college and again just wasn't into, I, I studied film and, and media yeah and was you know, really engaged in the film and media thing, but it was being taught by people who weren't from film and media backgrounds. There was a guy who was a nuclear physicist okay. teaching media, and I was okay. just like, "What? You know, I, I know more than you. What, why are you here?" Okay. And I just completely disengaged with it, and then ended up working at the newspaper as an ad runner. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started getting into kind of I was into art and kind of you know customizing clothes and doing okay. paintings and drawings and that yeah. sort of thing but I'd never really understood that there was a commercial application to it Sure. so you could take that kind of creative brain and, and apply it to anything mm. so I'd, I'd, I went and worked as an ad run at the newspaper and that would be I'd be essentially a glorified fax machine so they'd print the ad out and I'd have to get, jump in a Vauxhall Corsa and drive it out to go okay. and see the client and then yeah, they'd yeah. sign it off and I'd drive it back and that, yeah. was, that was my existence for yeah. I think I did it for nine months or something before like, yeah they, they decided that I was disinterested and, <laughs> and got moved along um, but then that kind of whet my appetite a little bit for kind of watching what people were doing in the art department 
Okay. How they were using these kind of really cool tools of, you know, and that was still the time they were using pasteboards and scalpels to do artwork. Mm. It wasn't all on computer. The computer mm. was like this amazing technological device in the corner that you use for really technical stuff. Yeah, yeah. Everything else you just kind of typeset in the traditional yeah, yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. So I, I was fortunate enough to understand that that was a thing and it yeah. had kind of grown from that. And then I started getting into computers and I taught. I, I didn't go and study graphic design. I'd lost my opportunity to go to university because my GCSEs and then full stop. Sure. So I, I taught myself and I'd sit in the art department in the evenings at the newspaper and then I blagged myself into a job for a company that put designers into law firms mm -hmm. and just made a load of companies up and did letterheads and logos for them yeah, all. Yeah, yeah. It's like, great, never heard of any of these companies, not going to check. Um, <laughs> and, You're in. And I'm in. So then I kind of learned the commercial stuff to it and then went from there and that's kind of been my interest ever since in varying forms it's always been around creativity of whatever I've done mm. Mm. or problem solving I guess is more the more thing yeah yeah and, and you know and since then that has spanned out to a few different areas to what Just you do to what you to what you to what you're doing now yeah which ranges in 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 those areas and you know I guess from a kind of a mental health point of view I guess from setting up on your own and then going into then having a partnership in a business that you have today. Yep. Um, how has that journey been through kind of the odds the of kind of mental health for you? Um, I tend to consider myself wholly unemployable. Okay. Um, because I can't, I can't work in a traditional office environment. Yeah. I, 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 I absolutely um, just curl up and, and become unresponsive in an office environment it's too mm. noisy I don't like the noises office smells people talking at unexpected moments yeah yeah general moving around with people it drives me absolutely nuts and I think that you know if I try I, I'd used to try and do it yeah and I can't do it mm. and I've come to the conclusion at nearly 46 years old that, that an office is bad for me <laughs> yeah um, so I, I, I tend to work in a kind of more nomadic way yeah. In that I've got a laptop and I'll just either, I'll either work in here yeah. or I'll you know go and work at the coffee shop on Norwich Road mm. or I'll go into town or I'll go somewhere I've never been before and, mm. and try something else. Mm. But I'd like having the kind of just the freedom to go and do stuff somewhere. Mm. And the, I'm fortunate enough with one of my businesses that it's a fairly nomadic setup anyway. So, you know, a lot of people work from home. They had the opportunity to work from home before lockdown and everything happened. Sure. Keep it as flexible as possible. So I don't feel we had an office in London, but we knocked it on the head because it was just it wasn't needed. You know, I was hardly down there. I'd pop my head in and just yeah, yeah. go, hello. No, this is too much. Bye. Yeah. And um, it, it just wasn't really working. So, you know, most of the team work from home. And it, it works really well. We'll have we'll have meetups now and again. Video calls seem to be mm. OK when they're working. Yeah. And um, it works really nicely. And uh, I think, you know, with what I'm doing across all the different businesses that I'm involved in, yeah, it's always in the back of my head is that, you know, setting some ground rules for how I work, mm. which I never used to do. I'd always used okay. to kind of be the people pleaser and just go, yeah, sure, I can do that. Mm. And then I'd just be, have a complete kind of um, meltdown or just get completely overloaded and then mm. just, you know, not have any drive to want to kind of go back and do mm. that again mm. I think some of that you know in my experience for me some of that kind of fell into play when I was kind of older sort of post 40 mm -hmm. and you kind of for me anyway you know during that time it's kind of like these things just don't work for me um, yep. I know what does and I've just got to be a bit more stronger with, with, with setting those kind of boundaries I think yeah I don't know if it's because you know as soon as you hit 40 you become a little bit more stubborn and curmudgeonly and just kind of go no or <laughs> or if people learn it sooner I don't know but yeah. it's kind of 
it's always at a younger age you find it with your peers and your more senior the more senior people in within an organization it's very yeah. difficult to feel like you can kind of go that's mm. ba- no, that's bad for me i can't do it yeah yeah but i think through um the the the, the rise of the awareness through neurodiversity both adhd yeah um autism and yeah. the, and the whole spectrum of things and, and where things cross over and where things don't mm. organizations are starting to become more aware that yeah definitely that it's a thing that it, it's and it it, it should be considered and it should be considered as an advantage not a disadvantage yeah, because yeah. if you can get your workforce working in a way that works for them rather than what the company handbook says mm, mm. then it actually benefits everybody yeah 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 you know you're right and I think we've seen that you know both locally and nationally now with more companies that are a bit sort of more open arms around you know having those conversations I think when yeah. when before it was kind of something that some people may have just ticked a few boxes to to do a few things and to and to that, but I think that's a lot that's a lot better now. And for, for you yourself, you know, in those moments, you know, running a business, they will have those times when things are you know the stress is higher than others. Yeah. Um, now you've got people that work around you, but what did you kind of put in place for yourself, if anything, you know, to kind of to kind of fare those seas, I guess. In um, I'm fairly good in a crisis. Yeah. So. It's a it's a weird thing, and I don't I, I don't know which side of the kind of neurodiverse spectrum it comes from. I think possibly the ADHD side. Yeah, is that I'm kind of always fairly spring loaded. Okay, yeah, and kind of ready for something to go wrong. So I, and uh, and I, I went through a lot of kind of cognitive behavioural therapy stuff. Yeah, where it was to stop disasterizing and 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 catastrophizing yeah, 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 yeah. everything yeah. and it. And I used to get into a real kind of death spiral with catastrophizing and yep. stuff where yep. it would get worse and worse and worse and you, there was no kind of breaker for it. Yeah. Learn how to put those breakers in now. But in a in a kind of business environment or a, or, or a project environment, if something tends to go really wrong, I can kind of spring into action and, and jump into it. Mm. I'll probably burn out afterwards. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah, I can yeah. kind of, you know, and, and I used to be a, I used to be a really... Uh, this is a little bit of blowing my own trumpet, but I was a really good lifeguard. Okay, um, I worked up at the up at the pool and I worked at the sea, and I was yeah. really good because if something went wrong, I could kind of keep my composure mm. and deal with it, mm. and then kind of come back later on and yeah, go, "God, yeah. that was pretty traumatic." Yeah, yeah. But I I can kind of really be laser focused in in situations like that. Mm. I think it can it, the self care comes afterwards. With that, is that I then have to have a kind of period of not doing anything mm. or just kind of you know yeah. really not. Um, getting overstimulated with different things and yeah. just have that quiet time afterwards because I used to do the kind of you know jump in get stuff sorted if there was something wrong you know especially in the, the technology stuff if one of the servers had fallen over or something okay. like that you kind of jump in and, and get you know put the action plan in place get mm. all that sorted but yeah. then I'd go off and find something else that was on fire Yeah, yeah. and I, it kind of compounds and compounds and compounds mm. so I know I can work well in a kind of crisis situation but I just have to have the self care afterwards to make sure that I'm not yeah. having that longer tail of an, have an effect a, a detrimental effect yeah it's, it's funny as you, as, you, as you list all those things I can see those in myself as well you know again kind of like often the person who is called upon with as a problem to, to help sort things out and I feel more able to 
sort out other people's stuff. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> They're I, my own. I am the IT support of the family <laughs> yeah, as well. Yeah. Is that you know I, I, I spend a lot of my working week trying to sort out technological problems. Yeah. And then I have to come in, and my mum has messaged me because their Wi-Fi stopped working, <laughs> and it's like never ends. It doesn't. Yeah. And it's like okay, I'm happy to do it, but. You know, one day can I can someone else do the problem solving? Yeah, <laughs> and and also that that notion of kind of wanting that kind of decompression time. Yeah, I, yeah. I find myself with that, especially if it's a kind of like um, we go to an event or we go to a party or we um, where you're kind of more well for me at least anyway. I'm more kind of um, conscious, I guess, yeah. as to who I am and what I'm doing. Yeah, and then if there'll be a point that I'll know. That it will get to that point and they'll just be like, okay, you need to go home now or you yeah, need to, done. or yeah, you need to because yeah. you're done. And then, you know, you can have a period of time afterwards where you just be on your own, do but nothing. That can stem back to as well, you know, where people self-medicate with alcohol, yeah. drugs and that sort of thing. Yeah. That they're actually trying to kind of suppress the feeling that they feel uncomfortable in a situation. Yeah. And they're chucking alcohol or drugs at it. Of course, and yeah. And it's actually, a, you know, an underlying possibly undiagnosed neuro- neurodiverse issue where yeah. they're actually self-medicating in unhealthy ways yeah. to cope yeah. with their environment. Yeah. I used to do exactly the same. Is yeah. that, you know, I'd go out on a night and they'd go, oh, let's go here. And I'd go, I hate that place. So the best thing to do about it is to just get as much beer in me before I go. Okay, got and you. And then I can just kind of gently wobble through the environment. So you, so you get through and, it. And, and you get through it. And I think it, you know, it happens with a lot of people. So I, I think it's you know, something that you have to have in check in the back of your head is that are the ways that I'm using these coping mechanisms mm. actually the best for me or are they going to have a real problem longer term? Yeah, yeah. And like you say, you know, for you, it was, you know, initially the music, but then, you know, you, you know, um, the alcohol, which you'd kind of use to do that. And for me, I would choose to have food in that circumstance. You know, if, if um, you know, I know that if there's periods of time when I've had a stressful day or something, I, I would choose to go in that direction. Yeah, dopamine hit as yeah. well. It's, yeah, you know, you know, and very short-lived. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> kind of you know, it, it gets it gets really tricky because you know, I'm I'm thinking about the snack drawer in the kitchen right now, but it's kind of like you know, that's the kid's snack drawer, but they'll often go in and go, "Where's everything gone?" And oh, no, because yeah. I've walked past it and I just need a dopamine hit. Should have just it. like I've just you know demolished a packet of bourbons yeah. and just kind of you know. Uh, snacker's remorse kicks in and yeah. it's like oh and then 45 minutes later I'm trying to find another snack again yeah yeah like, yeah it's, it's no it's, there's there's healthier ways to get dopamine yeah yeah <laughs> and where do you find yourself today with that because I know you know part of the work that you do is around non-alcoholic alcoholic drinks and I wondered yeah, yeah. if any if that was any bearing around that sort of yeah so I subject. think the, when we started the beer company we the, we didn't know who the audience was because alcohol-free beer at the time was a kind of commiseration prize for the driver and that was about it so you had your Bex Blues your Bitburger Drives and they were yeah. mass-produced alcohol forcibly removed through heat or or, or, or using kind of industrial yeah. processes and they didn't taste great and you just kind of didn't hang out in the pub very long mm. and my business partner Rob who I've known for he's the drummer in the band yeah. I've known him for 35 years yeah kind of his first child was born in 2014 he ran a law firm yeah he decided to kind of you know do to to kind of try and bridge both of them by not doing the law firm lunches and Got giving you. up drinking but okay. he still has to take clients out yeah, yeah he yeah. was in the pubs and he was drinking fizzy water or coke and that sort of thing yeah and he just said to himself well why is not anyone anyone not making good alcohol free beer mm. so he made that and it was it was from a desire to both of us being from having young kids 
being self-employed or, or, yeah, yeah. or working for the companies that we'd founded yeah um and and being very time poor mm. and that's fed into you know that nucleus of an idea of those things a lot of people have those yeah. constraints or one of them or two of them mm -hmm. plus some others and that mm -hmm. can be down from you know health issues or it can be through wanting to just have a better lifestyle or cut down on your alcohol yeah or being neurodiverse as well and mm -hmm. i know for a fact that i I still have the odd beer and I still have the odd cider and the odd glass of wine. Mm. But I know that if I go overboard on it, the next, the one day or the two days or the three days afterwards, there'll be this kind of, you know, it's, it's kind of like a roller coaster where it kind of goes up and it's awesome and fantastic. And mm. then you, you go lower than you, your baseline was when you yeah. started. Yeah. And you can, the only way to overcome that is to drink less. Yeah. Yeah. Or drink considerably more. <laughs> so <laughs> one or two ways. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and, and what we wanted to do with the big drop thing was, was create something that was about having choice. It's yeah. not about boo, alcohol, bad, don't drink, stop drinking entirely. Yeah. You know, everyone knows that alcohol is a mild poison, mm. but at the same time, it's kind of, if you, if you have an option to fit something better into your lifestyle, yeah. and have the choice. Mm take that choice because mm. you can still enjoy a really good craft beer it's got no it's got you know, as much alcohol in it as a sourdough loaf so it, it's something that you can enjoy I didn't know that about sourdough yeah sourdough's boozy uh, bananas about 0.4% um, <laughs> ginger beer so crabby's non-alcoholic ginger beer is actually I think probably as strong or a little bit stronger is it really? Drop. yeah wow. orange juice it's it all got alcohol and you naturally produce two yeah. units of alcohol in your body a day anyway but okay. your metabolism can deal with it and it's yeah, just yeah. there so putting 0.5% into your system when mm. you're sat there eating yogurts and bananas yeah. and sourdough bread yeah, and, yeah. and all that sort of thing and, and just you know any sort of fruit mm. is um, they're, they're all fermentables so they're, they're going to create they're going to have a trace of alcohol in them. Yeah. Um, but it is that whole thing about you know I've got loads of the beers stuck in my fridge but I've also got some wine kicking about yeah. I've got my Father's Day bottle of whiskey that the kids bought me which yeah. is an odd treat now and again yeah. but it's just resetting your relationship with it and having that opportunity to say well, I don't want to I, I don't want to do dry January that's you know why don't why can't I just do it all year round and just actually be that choice isn't it yeah yeah, yeah. and and, and uh, there's the, the, there's an argument that you know drinking to excess on the 31st of December knocking on that head go completely dry for 30 days and then getting straight back on it again mm. is probably more unhealthy than actually yeah. just being a little bit more considerate about your intake all year round yeah yeah and, yeah. and you know if you want to knock it on the head knock it on the head good for you if you don't want to knock it on the head and you just want to cut down mm. which is fantastic you know a lot of people's mental health would be considerably oh, better goodness, from yeah, it yeah. then you know you've, you've got that choice there now yeah and that market has just blown up you know the last few years you know yeah, yeah. with what you're doing and you know when you think back like you say to what that non-alcoholic beer was like in the early days yeah it, yeah it, it was tasted just, horrible when there was hardly any around so you just sat there drip, sipping a coke for the 20th yeah, time you, you couldn't sit there and drink with pints of coke <laughs> yeah pints of coke a glass of water a cup of tea it's just like yeah yeah you're all right i'm just gonna go home yeah or or, or why stop drinking yeah you know, but now there's the it's you know there's pints of it alcohol yeah. free beer on draft now on the front bar yeah. lots of pubs you can go in and just enjoy one and that's, and, the, and that's a great thing, you know, similar to me. I mean, I would say the majority of al um, what were alcoholic drinks, I'm now drinking no or low alcohol. Yeah, yeah. Because it gives you more choice around travel. You know, you don't have to worry about driving. And yeah, that, and yeah, that or like, stuff. you know, week work days and that sort of yeah. thing is, you know, you've got to get up the next day and have meetings and that sort of thing, but you can have a, have a nice beer in the evening. And you can't tell the difference. 
No, no, exactly. And that's the that's the thing as well is that, you know, if you pour a pint of alcohol-free beer and you pour a pint of alcoholic beer, they're, they're both made up of 95% water. Yeah. And they both look like beer. <laughs> yeah. And you don't go in and ask for a pint, a pint of like 4.4% Guinness. Yeah, yeah. You just go in and ask for a pint of Guinness. Yeah. And, and you know, the same with same with our beers. We just want people to go in and ask for one and they don't have to kind of yeah. wear the flag yeah, on their yeah, head. Yeah, yeah. It's just about fitting in and, and not having to it's wear the It's got a name and you ask for it. And badge then... of dishonor or whatever it mm. was with the kind of holding the, the massive Bex Blue sign. Mm. Um, what do you think around that kind of cultural, social conversation when someone isn't drinking perhaps in a in a in a friendship group in a, in a family event I, I think we're getting better but i don't think mm-hmm. we're quite there yet yeah we? i think it's a i think it tends to be a, a it's a generational thing i think and it moves in small steps i think probably when i was even in my 30s and someone said oh, I'm, not, I'm not drinking you mm. kind of just give them a kind of a, a psycho Alfred Hitchcock <laughs> horror face look and just yeah. go but why yeah. um, you know are you ill yeah. and it's like but now I think it's a bit more considerate around it's it's a choice and people should be allowed to have that choice yeah. younger generations and millennials are, are, are generally drinking less anyway okay. and they're drinking better so they, they you know they, they won't you won't see the Mad Dog 2020s kicking about so much anymore but you'll see teenagers going to parties and they'll take a nice bottle of vodka mm. or okay. and, and it will okay. be it, it will still be the, the the element of you know socializing and having a few drinks and that sort of thing but it's a very different approach to stuff mm. i think social media has played a really big part in it because you watch a lot of fail videos on youtube and that sort of thing don't see many drunk kids doing stupid stuff you don't do you, you don't see like 18 21 no, no, 22 no, no. year olds they tend to be doing skateboarding or you know, diving into a pool or coming off a trampoline and injuring themselves in a yeah. fairly comedic way. Yeah. It tends to be the older generation of people that are like falling through tables and that sort of <laughs> yeah, thing. And there's yeah. the fails. And I think there's a the aspect of that you're never not watched being kind of in your head. Gotcha. Everyone's, yeah. everyone's got a broadcast device now. Yeah. Everyone's got access to be able to immediately publish something mm. somewhere mm. that you're going to, it will be there for the rest of your mm. life. And I think there's a subconscious element with younger people that they do interact online and, but things like Be Real and Snapchat and that sort of thing they've all got disappearing messages they all tell yeah. you when someone screenshots something yeah, yeah. all that mentality is around kind of being very aware of your digital footprint mm. as well so I think that's played a big part into not all but a fair amount of the, the, the younger generations mm attitude towards drinking and socialising and I think more of a focus on health as well I think people yeah. younger people are a bit more aware of health and they you know the, you know there's positives and negatives to social media and health and body image and that kind of stuff but yeah. I think there is a more of an awareness of, of things which may sort of give them different ideas when they go to have a drink or, or, yeah, yeah, or that absolutely. kind of thing um, so coming to today then and kind of in sort of your, your social um, kind of situations and friend groups and that kind of stuff. The convers- like the conversations we have today is that something that kind of would come up in a conversation with with your friendship groups or, or um, people that you hang out. I with? I think it's got better over the years. Yeah, I think I'd, I'd like to think it's probably helped that people are coming out more about their diagnosis. Okay, and 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 openly talking about it more. And you know, some of my activity on LinkedIn and that sort of thing is is a lot around trying to drive the conversation forward Mm. um it's got a fair way to go but i think that people are a lot more considerate with neurodiversity and mental health issues and mental health first aiders in the workplace Mm. and 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 apps like calm and headspace which can help certain people kind of you know 
um, both talk about things and just feel like they can open up the conversation and, sure. and kind of happily have it running on their app. Yeah, and notifications yeah, yeah. coming up and that sort of thing. It's um, it, it's almost the kind of it's not commoditization of mental health, but it is kind of just bringing it to the fore a little bit. Mm. And I, there is some commercialization around kind of mental health and that sort of thing. Not necessarily what I agree with. Yeah. But as long as it drives the conversation forward and makes people feel happy to have those conversations, yeah, it, it, it it's fine. But as soon as it kind of tips the balance and becomes actually more about making money off people's mental health struggles rather than helping them, yeah, yeah, that that's when it kind of becomes a little toxic. Yeah, yeah, and and I think for most of the people involved, it's for me at least anyway. It's kind of like taken what you've either gone through. Or, and just trying to share it so that someone maybe younger or some doesn't have to go through some of the things yeah, totally. that maybe you've had. And, and, and you probably can resonate with some of that yeah, and, as well. And I think it's, you know, I'll, I'll talk to, there's a, there's a few people I know, younger people who've got, you know, recently diagnosed with ADHD or autism and yeah. that sort of thing. And I try and be a sounding board rather than a kind of a, 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 a vessel of wisdom because everyone's different. Mm. You can kind of, you know, if you listen to people who have, any neurodiverse issues it is a spectrum yeah. and it, it it can it can peak and be lower for everybody and it is a kind of very complex spectrum as well so mm. people can struggle more than others or struggle in different ways to others but i think if you can share a conversation on on the same level as somebody yeah then you can find kind of common ground to try and help each other out of kind of have you tried this or have you know looked into cognitive behavioral therapy or mm. access to work and that sort of thing yeah. as well as all of those conversations help and then I'm part of the Suffolk Autism Strategy as yeah. well. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to kind of, at a broader level, open up that conversation as well because mm. there's, a, there's a much kind of bigger subject around uh, misdiagnosis, um, around neurodiversity where it can get mistaken for depression. Um, Got and, and it's happened to me a few times. Mm-hmm. I've been put onto antidepressants, and it's actually not the thing I needed. Right, okay. uh, it's actually that I, I just actually had a meltdown, or, or, or just, yeah, yeah, just yeah. been completely overstimulated, mm. had a complete dip. Um, but I think if I had the coping mechanisms at the time, I'd have probably kind of eventually, mm. w- with the kind of rest and the, the and the kind of headspace around making sure I'm looking after myself. Yeah, the the, the antidepressants or the um, serotonin inhibitors weren't needed. Okay. Um, so it's Interesting. It, it's trying to kind of understand the, 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 the subtle differentiations between it. And you can suffer with depression being neurodiverse as yeah, well. Yeah. But the in the first instance it's not always the case that it presents mm. that way to someone mm. who, who might not be aware of yeah. their neurodiverse issues. Mm. It's just being aware of what's out there, I think, and I, and I think we're not quite there in you know you know, the best thing that we can encourage people to do in the first instance, I guess, is is to go to a see a GP, but there's only certain avenues and certain amounts of time that that those services can offer which are they do amazing jobs but yeah. i think through things like podcasts and groups and things like that that's where i'm feeling that most people are kind of getting that other information yeah and i think as long as it's um done in the in the in the right way with it you know, yeah it seems fairly considerate of the autism and the ADHD communities that I've been involved in that yeah. no one tries to steamroll anybody else with the you're right I'm, I'm wrong I'm right you're wrong yeah. thing yeah, yeah. because because it is such a kind of complex landscape yeah um, so I think everyone's fairly considerate around that I think where it can get a little tricky is on kind of unmanaged social media groups where there's not necessarily the, 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 yeah. the, the right yeah. um, conversations happening or the right route to support happening and as you say the kind of 
through the NHS, it's very the waiting lists are incredibly long at the moment, mm. and it's very difficult. And it's something we're we're trying to do something about with this autism strategy, is to to make sure that you know that the right people are getting the care they need, mm. and there's a there's a triage process to to care when they go on it seems to be really varied depending on where you are in the country as mm-hmm. well isn't it Absolutely. you know um i know with with my son who was diagnosed with autism he was in um nursery school at the time right and that was done through the health visitor checks okay um but we know other people that and, and we had a we am so grateful we had a really smooth kind of process in in getting him diagnosed through the you know the hospital but then you speak to someone else and it's a completely different story and there doesn't seem to be that continuity there between expectation and the services that you're offered no absolutely and i think that there's some frustration there and i only discovered the other day i'm still on the waiting list for the nhs diagnosis i went i i, I was fortunate enough to be able to afford yeah. to go through the private diagnosis i'm still on the waiting list for it because there's there's, there's you know access to different things depending on if you go through a private clinical diagnosis or a, what they deem as yeah and, and what and you, there's certain tick boxes of a clinical diagnosis through the nhs that you can't get through a private diagnosis well you can but there's a whole right to choose thing it's very complex okay but i only discovered the other day that i'm on the autism waiting list for the nhs mm. um i phoned up and said i've been diagnosed with adhd as well so can i just be added to that so oh no it's a completely different list and you just have to go to the back okay it's like that's kind of frustrating because there is a fair crossover between yeah people who have autism will also have adhd in, yeah. in varying forms yeah so why is that not just kind of a, mm-hmm. a a little bit of a catch-all with some screening to start with mm. or the, there's a lot of questionnaires out there that you can do online yeah uh, there's yeah. the um the, the around kind of you know uh, socialising and feelings and lots of different things you can you can do them online there's loads of websites you can do them why are they not presented at the first stage when someone signs up because mm. you can you can triage fairly quickly on yeah. the importance um, and the urgency around getting the right people with the right mm. diagnosis at the right time and it, it is about you know it it's not favouritism, it's just making sure that people get the care they need. Mm. Do you know roughly what that waiting time will be for you on NHS? Uh, I think the the ADHD one's slightly shorter. I signed up three years ago on the autism one, uh, and I've wow. not heard anything. Okay, <laughs> so, it's a big list. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and you know, I, 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 it's getting bigger because people are getting are understanding that the, the, the right to choose route where if you are blocked by your GP for any mm. reason, you can mm. kind of wave the right to choose flag, and they they have okay. to do it for you. But there's a there's a huge list on that now. As okay, well. you know it, it, it's it's bottlenecking. It's starting to bottleneck in a lot of different places. Mm. And through that process of you kind of going through and getting that diagnosis yourself, what did that kind of open up for you? Did it answer questions? Did it, you know, what was kind of like the the outcome for you? Was it different to what you thought it was going to be? Um, yeah, I think I probably took. I mean, the, the irony is, is that I, I can't read do- long documents. Okay. I, I get I get very distracted and wander off and, yeah. and, and don't read long documents. And my my, my report was forty five pages long, and I just went back to them and said, "Can you bullet point it for me? Because I'm not going to read this." Yeah. <laughs> um, and and they, they kind of you know they said, "Oh, if you go to the back, there's a summary when you can read through." The report. <laughs> okay. I was like, "Oh, I haven't got that far. Thanks." Um, but I, I think you know some people don't. I'm not a fan of labels on the most part because it can be very kind of you know don't pigeonhole people yeah. because people are complex. Yeah. Um, but I think the, the, the through the diagnosis and and only I just ticked the box for ADHD when I was signing up for the 
autism screen as I'll pop it in as well because my wife's got ADHD yeah um, and and we, we to our benefit and and to it's a gift and a curse is that we, we get on fantastically well but then but both when we have flare-ups with our neurodiversity it's kind of all hell breaks loose but okay yeah it's kind of you know we understand each other's complexities mm. but she said I'll just do the ADHD as well because mm. there are I keep going oh I do that mm. like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Now, if we're watching a film we, we both leap on and see how many actors have been in other films in the past and miss about 45 minutes of the film yeah. going through IMDb going oh he was in that thing with William Defoe um, <laughs> oh did you know the battle and you're off you're off doing something yeah, else so yeah. I did it and then I got the diagnosis back and it, the, the, the test and the clinical elements fairly straightforward and incredibly boring and they mm. deliberately do, so, do make it incredibly boring because mm. um, they want to see how much you're going to get distracted and fidget and, and, and that uh, sort of okay. thing. So okay, okay, got there's you. Some, there's some key, there's a, there's a stall you have to sit on to do one task and it's the clinical handbook. You have to have this slightly uncomfortable cheap IKEA stall to sit on and it's part of the kind of clinical assessment is this oh. really rubbish stool that you have to sit on that's quite uncomfortable and spoiler alert yeah yeah so you, you, and, and they put you in a very boring office environment to do it and that's yeah. just one of the tests there's lots of other kind of assessments and that sort of yeah, thing yeah yeah but I was terrible at, at, at that but then that you know got the diagnosis through and I think it took three or four days of me just kind of going huh hmm okay hmm and, and then I had a follow-up call with the clinician or one of the clinicians who, who did my autism uh, diagnosis. And she said, I, you know, how do you feel? And I said, I, I kind of feel different, but I don't know how yet. Hmm. And, the, and she said, I don't, that kind of, you know, that will happen a fair bit because um, you've, you've just had the last 45 years of your existence kind of labelled a little bit. Hmm. And, and some people see that as a good thing and some people see it as a bad thing. Hmm. Um, and... Uh, oh, the other thing that was interesting as well is that um, I scored very low on clinical presentation for autism traits. So, and I said, well, why, you know, how, how did you not spot? Because you got really good over 45 years of masking. Okay. So okay. we could spot them, but they were very hard to see. Okay. So they, there's lots of kind of, you know, eye contact, um, uh, general conversation, maintaining conversation and that sort of thing is that, if it interests me, I can probably talk about it for ages. Mm. But there's tricks around kind of trying to maintain some interest. Yeah, which you've just learned over a period of time. Yeah, which I've just kind of, you know, it's just me being me. Mm. And, and I'm masking, but I don't notice it because I've done it so much. Mm. But then I'll probably, you know, if I, I had a really busy day yesterday, yeah. got to the end, I was on calls and I was having to kind of be me or the perception of me to other people. Yes, and I got to the end of the day, and I was like, "No, oh, I'm done. That's it. I'm just going to have to go and lay in the room and doom scroll through my phone because yeah, yeah. That, that's it." But before I'd just kind of go, "Oh, you know, why, why are you being lazy? Why can't you do this? Mm. Why, you know, everyone else can do it. They mm. they seem to be able to do it. Fine. Why can't you do it?" Mm. But now there's the, the there's a reason. Okay. And some people don't, you know, and all power to people who don't want to get diagnosed mm. and they're just happy being there. Yeah, yeah. But for me, it feels like a real kind of. Um, justification for why I struggle with certain things mm. and I can always think back to that diagnosis if, if I can feel myself kind of getting overwhelmed or stressed or anxious or start to kind of um, uh, catastrophize about stuff mm. I can think back and go there's a reason for that okay got you so I can go back to that kind of fairly yeah. arbitrary label mm. but that arbitrary label is just a fact. but then there's kind of a reason that I guess something you can refer back to and say look this is because of this or yeah, yeah. yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and then I can look at my CBT skills and yeah, I can yeah. I can make sure that 
you know, I'm, I'm using those properly and just kind of bring the self-care into it. Whereas mm. before it was just like, oh, just get on with it. You know, just push mm. through, it'll be fine. Mm. And then it, it, it just builds up and builds up and builds up. And then you, it's kind of like a, you know, the pressure builds and there has to be some release somewhere. Mm. And that can either be through kind of overly self-medicating or having a complete meltdown. Yeah. And both of those are not good. <laughs> no, 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 no. And you, you mentioned about kind of, getting out there and and just having your space and being on your own is there anything else that you just kind of like your go-to now is to, for for sort of decompressing yeah so it's uh, i'll tend to uh so play a bit of music uh, yeah come down here or, li- or just listen to music with headphones on so uh, the 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 invention of noise cancelling headphones <laughs> are kind of one of the greatest things ever, yeah yeah that i can wherever i am i can just kind of put my headphones on and I, i've got a series shortcut set up which uh, I can say a word, yeah. and it switches all my notifications off. Turns on "Do Not Disturb." Oh, turns okay. On airplane mode. Plays a specific, locks the door. Yeah, <laughs> plays a specific song and sets my headphones okay. to noise cancelling. Okay. All in one word. Okay. So I can just say Siri word, and yeah. then it will just start doing that. Oh wow! I, I can. I don't have to kind of then overthink about what yeah, my yeah. self care routine is. I can just go and close. Yeah. And that's me done until I decide to switch it back mm. off and then I can just use a word to kind of come back into the real world and that's great because that's come from knowing yourself knowing yeah, what kind yeah. of it, and, all and, these things and, and like, kind of embra- I love embracing technology yeah. so there's kind of you know it, it all fits in with my, my my thought process anyway yeah and just having those coping mechanisms I've got you, you met my two stupid dogs when you came in yeah um, going out for walks with them mm. just spending time with them there's a kind of real connection I think because animals don't judge no, um, they take you at face value. Always happy things. to see you. Yeah, yeah, they're always happy to see you, especially <laughs> Moose. It doesn't sound like it, but he's always happy to see people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and just having those kind of elements, and just having the garden as well, is that you know I couldn't exist without having some mm. form of outdoor space. Mm. Um, and I think you know the, the whole family. I think is my my youngest is on the uh, list for autism assessment at the moment. Okay. I think my my eldest is as kind of there's elements of ADHD in her traits and that sort of thing, and that's not surprising because both mm-hmm. her parents have yeah. neurodiverse issues. And yeah. I think you know as long as the, the sooner they're caught and the sooner they're dealt with, the 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 sooner things can be put in place that they can benefit from mm. and they can understand how they think how they behave and how to cope with things mm. when things get difficult mm. so it's just having those elements there but just the kind of we were away on holiday week before last and we'd deliberately chosen a kind of very quiet place in the middle of nowhere mm. and it was we couldn't do the kind of big noisy package holidays yeah because it's just too much going on it's, it's, mm. it's not me unwinding because i can just hear yeah oh that's another thing i never realized that people could focus their hearing oh okay so I tend to hear like everything. I read, yeah, I read something about that the other day. In I can't the, remember what the word is for it. Do you know, like, like we've we've mentioned this conversation about how you're kind of more aware of what's going on. You have to watch out for stuff or mm-hmm. watch out for cues or things to to kind of help. And I think one of those things was, yeah, focus on your hearing so that you could you could be somewhere and then listen hear a conversation that's a couple of feet away and yeah, take away information because you're always kind of um ready to. You know. Yeah, and it kind of goes back to there's some really interesting research around the, the neurodiverse people within kind of tribes were the hunter gatherers. Okay, um, and didn't, it wasn't men, women. It was just the people who could actually think on their feet, um, work on their own, or work as a small group, hmm. um, be incredibly reactive, 
um, and specialise in lots of things. Okay. Tended to be the hunter-gatherers. Okay. So, and, and that's kind of, you know, that fits with the kind of, you know, it's been compressed into a little bit of a societal element now. Yeah. But you look at that and that kind of resonates a little bit. You mm. never really know because you know, there's no one to ask. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it does fit in with that sort of thinking. And I think there's the, the, the that that's a really interesting to think about kind of human growth and that sort of thing is yeah neurodiversity you know, there's a lot of people going oh there's, there's lots of this neurodiversity around now it's like it's always been there yeah um, it's always been part of the human yeah, consciousness yeah, yeah, yeah. in varying levels and and some people flourish from it and some some people really struggle with mm. it but it, it should they shouldn't none of them should be discounted mm. you mentioned there about um, your daughters and. Has your conversations around both mental health and kind of neurodiversity has that changed since the di- your diagno- diagnosis? And is that kind of an open conversation for you guys now? Yeah, we try and have we we try and be an op- as, as open with conversations as possible because I think it's you know uh, trying to kind of sweep stuff under the carpet mm. or mm. not talking about stuff eventually just kind of bu- will just bubble under the surface. Yeah. And just cause it, it, it ends up becoming toxic. Mm. I think if uh, and the we, you know, the, the kids have kind of understood growing up that people do have different challenges and mm-hmm. people do have different healthcare problems. We lost my one of my oldest friends and my sister-in-law in the same year in 2017 to cancer. Okay, um, uh, we lost my father-in-law in in um, a couple of years ago mm. uh, to cancer as well. Yeah, and the kids have kind of been around it. But we've never shied them away from having those difficult conversations yeah. because it just sets them up to understand that you know the, these things happen. Um, they happen to everybody, mm. and there's you know the, the way to go about it is to talk about it openly. And whether it's a kind of you know a, a, a neurodiverse health, health issue or a more general health issue, it's something that you should kind of feel comfortable that you can talk mm. about. Mm-hmm. Um, so we always kind of try and talk about those things as kind of in a in a straightforward way as possible so mm. they they know how to and and then that just kind of you know not only does that give them a little bit more um uh mental um strength mm. uh, resilience yeah um but it also helps them to look out for if other any if any of their friends are struggling or anything mm. like that they can mm. look out for where they might be worried and talk to them and so like have a conversation mm. on the level with them as well so mm. it's, it's you know it's trying to set them up to be aware of their feelings but also aware of other people's feelings mm. as well mm. it's great stuff I mean one of the, you know the reasons for me kind of setting up these conversations is to kind of promote something which I felt a lot of men are kind of missing out on and mm. that is kind of like dedicated one-on-one time with other men around certain conversations because in my experience, if, if I look back to those times when we spent with peer groups, it was usually around, it could be around sport and events, it could be around, you know, alcohol and have a night out or that kind of thing. But there yeah. wasn't really de- any dedicated time. And when I looked to what my wife had around her friends and, and peer group, they had that time when they would go and get a coffee or th- and then they yeah, would yeah. just like offload. Yeah. And I think... Usually, um, usually about their, their partners. Yeah, maybe. maybe. <laughs> yeah. Can't believe he's not talking to anybody. <laughs> maybe. Why, why do you think that's so different for, 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 for men? I, 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 I'm not sure. I think there's a kind of an, an element of the um, male pride okay. getting in the way mm. a little bit. I think there's a generational, generational element of, you know, particularly my 
dads and my and their parents hmm. thing is that you know men didn't talk about that sort of thing they just went down to the pub and talked shit yeah that was it um, and it didn't get any more complex than that and if they weren't talking shit they were talking about football and if they yeah. weren't talking about football then they'd, they'd find something else to just kind of just go through the motions with mm. a little bit and there was never a mentality around kind of checking in mm. it was just you know if, if someone's got a problem they'll tell me yeah <laughs> so yeah 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 it'll be fine you know they seem fine yeah so I, I think it's probably getting better I think I found it easier to talk with people who aren't in my direct group than with my direct group so I think there's a yeah that there is a conversation or a, a consideration around some sort of method of being able to kind of have open groups and there, there are the kind of open counseling groups and that yeah. sort of thing you can go to yeah sometimes they can actually be better because you you come without any preconceptions about other True. people yeah so you, you can kind of come in and talk about it at a, a complete new level mm. whereas with your friends there tends to be an element of, of baggage and that sort of thing yeah yeah so I think there's the element there where you have to make sure that there's the routes for people to talk and this you know this is a fantastic forum there's other men's charities where you you can have that sort of thing mm. but part of the challenge is kind of taking that first step yeah as well. I, I, I think so it's yeah. probably the hardest bit the hardest bit of yeah and, and, I, and I think it can be different to different people you know some people will will do the whole sport thing and that will be the outlet and that works for them yeah. but I think there's an, also a large subsection of, of, of people that that's not a good fit and sometimes that one on one time even if it's just kind of like a text to say how you doing or you know a quick phone call we know we don't yeah. call people anymore yeah, do we? Yeah. <laughs> in that respect and just you know for me it was kind of like when I was starting to do this this podcast it was kind of like I could very easily do it on Zoom or I could on Teams or something like that yeah but the benefit I feel myself of sitting down with someone in their space yeah, um, has benefit and all and, and that's kind of what I hope to achieve but no it's been it's been really great having a, a chat to you today and no no thanks thanks Ross and thanks for all, everything you're doing um, around autism and and um, the hometown and all that kind of stuff because I think you know you've found things now that are deep where you want to go and, yeah and, and it's kind of you know I, I, when I'm doing my design work and that sort of thing I, I'll tend to pick projects that I'm actually interested in rather than just yeah. make some money out of it is I have to feel like I'm kind of really really bringing something to the table and also mm. it's going to really kind of engage my head a little bit mm. to try and solve the problem rather yeah. than just like yeah I'll do it pay me <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> but no thanks for your time no worries thanks a lot cheers cheers, cheers.